Let me ask you a question. Have you been thinking about starting a business for so long that you can't remember when you started thinking about it? And the reason that you haven't started is because you think it's too risky. You're afraid to lose money. You're afraid to fail. You're afraid to look bad in front of other people, how you'll be perceived in the world. If that's you, then I have an amazing guest for you today. His name's Eugene McGrath, and he has started multiple companies over his career in IT. And we're going to talk a lot today about risk, how to manage it, how to overcome it, and how to put you in a position where you feel much more confident about starting the business of your dreams. This is the W2 Prison Break Show, and I'm your host, Brian O'Neill. My mission through real-life examples is to give you the knowledge, the confidence, the mindset, and the inspiration to break free from your nine-to-five and start the business that you have always known lives inside of you. If that interests you, stick around. Gene, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on today. And I'm really excited to dive into this topic of risk. Super excited. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited about this as well. Yeah, definitely. And before we get into today's topic, we're going to talk a lot about your entrepreneurial journey, the companies that you started. We're going to talk a lot about risk, taking a risk, but give some context to the listeners right now as to who Gene is, who he was before you and I met on TikTok, by the way. Again, guys, another guest that I met on TikTok Live. So don't sleep on that app. Gene, the floor is yours. Please go. Absolutely. Thanks for that. So my name is Eugene McGrath. I'm based out of New York, although I do travel the world for a number of different uh, work projects. My background is completely in technology. And I've always been focused on this idea of, I want to solve a problem. Everything that I've ever built, and we'll talk about some of that, has been around solving a problem. My background in tech is around startups. I found really cool startups that were doing really cool things like AI, machine learning, and then joined that company as an early uh, stage employee with tons of risk. By the way, when we talk about risk, it doesn't get more risky than that, right? Because 80% of them are going to fail. Yeah. And then through that, I learned, I started to look at the world in the lens of what is broken and what needs to be fixed. So I started building companies to do that. The first one I built was called EcoIT. It was around helping small businesses harness the cloud. That was a problem when we first started that 10 years ago. So that's been going strong. And then the second one was a company called CommunityFi. And it was about how do we have all these little devices that can do things like refrigeration monitoring for food pantries? And how do we leverage technology in a way that it doesn't cost the food pantry money? And how can we improve outcomes? And I'm happy to say that we've actually saved over a million meals from spoilage, which is cool because these are going to people who are homeless. The one I'm most passionate about is trading apps, which is how do we leverage AI to help investors be more efficient traders and plan for the future and understand patterns and just understand their behaviors and how to change those. So it's all about finding the solutions to problems. hundred percent. I love that you said that. We'll get into all of your businesses here in just a minute, but something that just jumped right off the page for me was 80% will fail, right? Yeah. Did you know that when you were starting these companies or did you kind of learn that after the fact? I knew this going into the tech startup world and how many times you see a really cool product that's not there next year. And I knew that going into it. But what I also knew is that when you are taking risk and when you're building a brand and when you're finding the brand you want to be attached to, you have to understand what is the problem they're solving. You have to be intimately familiar with what that problem is, and then generate a plan. You have to build a plan for what if it doesn't go as planned. It's about 
managing risk is just as important as taking risk. It's about how do I pivot if things don't go your way? You have to have a contingency plan. So I did know going into this that there is a huge amount of possibility that this would fail. But when you have a good plan, your chance of failure is a lot less, right? The most prepared person is the successful person. I love that quote. Awesome. So can you give us an example? Because again, 80%, most people are, if there's probably half of that risk, they might not do it just because there's already a bunch of fear. But if there's not certainty in the outcome, like this is definitely going to work. I think a lot of people who are wanting to start their own business or solve a problem, as you put so perfectly, just won't do it because they don't understand that they can't see the guarantee, right? Maybe talk about one of your companies, anyone, I'll let you pick. How did you plan for the contingency? What did that look like? And how did that help you with your mindset around taking this 80% risk, as you said? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'll talk a little bit about Community Fi. So Community Fi is an IoT company. And what that means is we provide connectivity to devices. So it's an example is I have farms in Oklahoma that have sensors in the ground that tell if the soil is too wet or not wet enough, and they can automate watering. They can follow their cattle. It's the idea of being able to connect devices or sensors to a network. But the risk is in that world is that we were partnering with an early stage crypto network called Helium, that there's always a lot of skepticism around crypto. That provided a lot of like negative media for what we were trying to do. So we knew coming out of the gate that that was going to be a risk. And so how do we architect around that? And the answer is the work that we do is all focused on helping food get to those who need it. Understanding what your core value is and understanding that you need to market based on that core value. And it's so important when you build a mission plan to have it clearly stated what my core values are. And that is your marketing. I'm marketing my core values. And to us, it's about getting food to people who need it, whether it's food pantries, whether it's farms, whatever the case is. That was one of the storms that we were able to weather because every time a negative, somewhat anti-crypto person wanted to say, well, this is still crypto, it's scam. Like, no, this is a network that we can use, that we use for our sensors to communicate and we're changing the world. And that's what it matters to us. I don't care what you say. What I've put as a plan, a marketing plan together, is about how we're changing the world using technology. And that's more important than what you think is a good or bad technology. The results of what we're doing is more impactful. So it's focus on those results. Make sure that you tell that story a hundred times of how you're changing the world, how what you're doing is making a difference. And then you have to filter out some of those noise. There will always be these people who will be against you because people who are not successful don't want you to succeed. So you're always going to hear from those. I I know you probably hear that on TikTok all the time, right? It's always the people who don't want you to succeed that have the loudest voice. And so it's about filtering that out, having that plan, building those core values, and then hammering home those core values to every person you you can talk to. Yeah. Awesome. So I, I was just kind of thinking about most people don't go through this exercise of like, hey, what if this happens? Like, what is my exposure here with this business that I'm starting? It's usually just, okay, what's the upside or what's the doomsday scenario, which usually doesn't occur. It's kind of like I equate it to like the defense attorney in cross-examination. Like they know what the prosecution's going to ask. Or if you're watching an NFL game, offense and defense, it's like you have a game plan. Like you're anticipating what the other side is going to do and you're prepared and ready for it. You're essentially saying something very similar. I'm just using a different reference. Part of that, of what exactly what you said, is oh, you have to know your weaknesses and you have to know where they're going to attack you. And if you know where they're going to attack you, you know how to defend. It's being hyper aware. And I love that word hyper aware 
of what the problems you're solving and also the challenges you're going to face. You have to be very, very well aware of that. But you don't have to be scared of those challenges. Every single challenge, and as an entrepreneur yourself, you know, every single challenge, there's a way to get around it. There's a way to get over that speed bump. It's a speed bump. It's not a wall. Understanding that you will, that you will see these speed bumps and having a thick skin to be able to overcome them is so important. It's that resiliency is such an important trait to uh, entrepreneurship. What are some of the things, Gene, that you have learned or applied over the years? Because look, when you have adversity come your way, you know, there's a propensity to feel sorry for yourself or tell yourself, well, I shouldn't have done that. I knew it. Everyone was right. Have you had those moments? And how do you push through that? And what advice would you lend to the listeners who are encountering that now? Yeah. So the number of times I've gone to the place where I question myself, and I think we all do this, where we all doubt ourselves, I have imposter syndrome. No matter how cool it is and how differentiated it is from anything anyone else is doing, I always feel it could be better. But understanding that your own behaviors is so important because you can leverage that to do really, really incredible things. Like if you leverage the fact that I always want to be better, I always want to do something better, I'm going to be light years ahead of my competition, right? I'm going to keep improving where a lot of people just want status quo. That's a really, really important piece of that. And the second thing is we have to look at business and life. I call it desperation mode. I'm always in desperation mode in the sense that I'm always looking at how do we improve this? How do I tweak this to perform better? And you really need to have that lens when we talk about entrepreneurship, because there is always going to be someone with a negative opinion, but understand the context that they don't really matter. They're not the ones who are feeding your kids. They're not the ones who are paying your mortgage. So at the end of the day, they don't matter. Unless it's a constructive criticism from a customer, that's the only person who matters. If my customers are happy, what do I care about a random person on TikTok or social media saying that I'm a failure or that, oh, someone else does this better? The fact is it doesn't matter. So understanding that context and using that negativity as your own fuel. I forget the term for that, but it's basically using that negativity as fuel. And we've seen that time and time again. And if you look at the history of people who have been truly successful, they've all had these things to overcome. So use that negativity as fuel to prove them wrong. There's no greater motivator than wanting to prove people wrong. I would agree with you 100%, especially if you want to change your life. Gene, what was the first business you ever started? Tell us about that. If we're not talking about when I was a kid, let's see. When I was a kid, my first business was mowing lawns. That was tough. By the way, that's tough work. Really, really tough work. I remember that business very, very well. And then later on in my adulthood, my first real company that I started was called Love Botanicals. It was a all organic natural skincare product line driven by data, using data, using science, developing something really cool. I ended up selling that company and then took that money and then started EcoIT. And EcoIT was basically to help small businesses compete with larger companies from an IT standpoint, because if you want to leverage the cloud and AI and things like that, it's expensive. But if I can create something to help small businesses get there, there was a gap in the market. Okay. Other than IT, it seems like there's somewhat of a theme to your business, at least your early ones. So talk about your backgrounds in IT, obviously. So you either went to, you're you're educated, you didn't go out and learn a new skill. Did you already knew how to do this stuff? Yes. For the most part, Love Botanicals was a little unique. Science and formulation was something I had to learn, but I had a lot of help there as well. So for the most part, yeah, these are not skills that I specifically had to learn. What I did find was a learning curve is running a business because being a great engineer and running a business, completely different things. And so I've learned through a failure. I've learned through making mistakes. Luckily, none that have cost me like everything, but uh, making these little mistakes, like I could have done this a little bit better. Okay. Let's stay here for a bit because this is important. I agree 100%. I don't think there are necessarily bad ideas for a business. It's the execution of said business, right? So maybe 
Give us a few top lessons that come to mind that you've learned that you would share with the listeners. Like, hey, make sure you're doing this and not doing this. 100%. The first piece of advice that I would say is something that took me many, many years to learn because I'm really stubborn. For me, and using myself as an example, I believe myself to be a very good engineer. And I have a lot of people corroborate that. I was not necessarily an entrepreneur. So I didn't understand the other half of the business. In my mind, if I build something really cool, people will come. But that's not really the reality. The reality is that people have to know to come. One of the lessons that was really hard for me is that like, if I want to put all my money in engineering and build something really cool, but if I'm not spending any money in marketing, if I'm not spending on money acquiring customers, your idea is doomed to fail. Always have a holistic plan about how you're going to get that product or that service to market. That's so important. You have to have multiple routes to market if you can. The second thing is that I've learned, um, being someone who's very stubborn, this was a tough lesson too, is... I'm not the expert at everything. I'm not the expert at marketing. I have to find someone who is. Why would I want to spend 100 hours of my time trying to figure out something that Brian could figure out in an hour or something like that? Like, Understand your weaknesses and understand that your weaknesses, they don't have to be a roadblock. You can find somebody, offload that weakness to somebody who has that skill set, and you can build really cool things. And if you look at all the great tech companies, especially like you have Wozniak and Jobs, like they had weaknesses that play to each other's strengths. It's about balance, finding that balance or finding someone, a third party that has that skill of being able to do marketing. You don't have to do it all your own. And a lot of businesses are doomed to fail when they want to be the control freak and control everything when they're not good at it. That's so good. Is there a third thing? Because you said two was not having to be an expert. Is there a third thing? It's not like you were rolling through it. So I didn't oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. The third thing is a two-part. The first one is have a contingency plan. If things don't move your way, what is your contingency plan? Maybe I need to pivot. I'll give you an example. In Community 5, we wanted to boil the ocean and help everybody do all sorts of things. We wanted to help homeowners watch their dishwashers and know when they fail, even if they lose internet and cool things like that. We ended up realizing that it's really hard to articulate that I can do something for everybody. So find something that you focus on and understand your core value and be hyper-focused on that. So for us, we stayed in that cold chain food storage, that cycle. So farms and food pantries and restaurants, because that's what we found as our core value. So be hyper-focused on a core value that you can very easily articulate. And so that's part of that contingency plan is that we said, oh, we could help nursing homes with uh, patients who wander off Alzheimer's, which is cool. But you can't advertise 100 products. You have to advertise one product, do it really well, and then expand. Be hyper-focused on that. Have that contingency plan. And for us, that's what it was. Our original idea was, oh, boil the ocean. Then realized our contingency plan had to be focus on one thing, do it really, really well, do it better than everybody else. There's that contingency plan. So have a contingency plan. And number two, you have to have a plan in general. You have to have a detailed plan of what your weaknesses are, what your strengths are, how you're going to advertise market based on your strengths, and understand where your pitfalls may be, where your roadblocks will be, so that you can overcome them really, really easy. So have a plan, have a contingency plan, have a primary plan, and have a backup or a contingency plan as well. I love it. Okay. Did you do any of these startups 100% by yourself, or did you have partners? Like, Talk about like the makeup of the different businesses that you launched. So Love Botanicals, all by myself. That one I sold to a salon who's they went national with that. And it was really because when I built that, cosmetics is a really tough industry. I looked at it from the data standpoint, and it was successful. It was very successful. And I actually miss that business sometimes because it was really cool. Science is a really, really cool thing. But I will say that it also required a lot of work, formulation and its packaging and everything is just a ton of work. That business I did on my own. EcoIT, I had a partner, a really good partner. Community Fi had a partner as well. And then the trading hacks is all by myself. I do have some people I work with, but they're not my partners in that regard. They're more employees. Got it. Okay. 
And then I assume you had, as you said, you outsourced stuff like sales and marketing with each of these companies and stuff that you weren't great at. I was just curious as to the makeup. Okay, before we get to trading hacks, as we definitely want to talk about that and hear all the cool things about what you're doing there to help investors. I'm listening to the show. I have an idea for a business and maybe I'm an IT too, right? Or I'm good at something. I've been working at this job for 10 years. I don't like it. I like the work. I just don't like the people I'm working for. And I just, I'm sick of going to work every day. I have an idea for a business based on stuff that I'm good at, that I have knowledge in, but I have fear, right? Hey, 80%, I might fail or 40%, I might fail. It's not going to work. Like, And again, a lot of us go there 50 steps down the road and it's like, well, all the, the things open and we're doing all this business and I can't envision that. So I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to stay with what I know, which is this cruddy job that I have to go to. What would you say to that person as maybe an action item or two in the beginning? That's actually a great question. And this is a question that I love because this is something very passionate. So I have two pieces of advice and they're both related to each other. The first one is anytime, I believe that we should do one thing that scares us every single day. You get outside your box, it's so important. But fear is a real thing. Fear of risk, fear of failure is a real thing. Do we know how we overcome that? It's through knowledge. If I know everything possible about my particular vertical, this product, whatever I'm building, the more knowledge I have, market research, the more knowledge of what the gap is, what the need is, the more I know about what I'm building, the less fear I have. Fear is oftentimes of the unknown. So if I make this known, a known entity, not unknown, then there's a lot less fear. So if I'm looking to build a widget that does XYZ, the more I know about how that widget works, who my competitors are, what the gap is, what the market is, what the addressable market is, the more information I have, it's not as scary because now I have a plan. If you don't have a plan, it's scary. But if I plan everything out, like let's say a trip, like you're going on a trip. If I book all my airfare, I put it on the calendar, I schedule it all out, there's no fear. There's no fear. I know I'm going to get where I'm going, unless there's a delay and I have a contingency plan. The same thing with the business. If you have a plan, if you do your market research and learn as much as you can about what you're building and the need and the gaps, then it takes a lot of that fear away. Also, use other people as a sounding board. If you have friends and family, and I oftentimes, and one of the things that I learned through my career is I oftentimes find people who are not my friends or family. I'll find a third party who's going to be critical. I want that feedback because they're going to give me some nuggets. They may be needlessly critical, but they're going to have some nuggets that are important. So use other people as a sounding board. People who are not related to you, people who don't have an emotional interest in you, because they're always going to try to make you feel good. So you want to find someone who's a third party as a sounding board. And you can find that in social media. You can find that in a number of different ways and just learn how to filter out the people who are just trolls and haters and take advice, little nuggets to understand who your clientele is going to be. But the second thing is you have to balance that. There's this idea of paralysis analysis. You don't want to get in this world of, I'm just going to keep doing the research and never take action. You get to the research of where you're, in my mind, 50% comfortable. If I'm 50% comfortable, I can learn the rest. If I have a solid foundation and I'm at least know 50% of what I need to know, I'm okay because I can hire someone for that other 50%. Like we talk about sales and marketing, right? If I have a plan and I'm 50% comfortable with it, but I know I can outsource the rest, why not go for it? Because you've put the plan together, you've built your contingency plan, you've built your mission plan, you've built how you're going to get to market, you know your gaps, you know your weaknesses, you know your strengths. Now that I have all this information, I'm not as scared. I'm not as scared to go into this because I'm not going into this blind. I'm going into this educated. It's not a gamble. It's an educated risk. And that's a really important distinction. You want it to be an educated risk, not a gamble. Yeah, that was awesome. I was writing down like, okay, analysis, paralysis, and then you answered it. So perfect because 
we can get addicted to the knowledge consumption piece where it's yeah. like, wait, I got to learn one or two more things. I got one more book, another podcast before I actually take action and do something. So I love that you address that because I know everyone is probably thinking that. It's like, I have to know everything. You're saying that you don't have to know everything. Oh. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be the best. Yeah. And I'll tell you, one of the tools that I use and that's been so successful for me, Excel. I will, in my mind, figure out how to quantify something. I'll give you an example. Like I was just car shopping because one of my cars died. I quantify how much cargo space does it have, how much internal room, blah, blah, blah. So when I put all the data out there, I can see a clear picture of where it'll highlight cells that, oh, this one has the most backseat room, this one has the most trunk room. And then now I can make an educated decision. Instead of just trying to filter through hundreds and hundreds of people saying this car, that car, if I put it all down, if I document the data, then it becomes a very easy decision to make. You can do that with everything. Everything you can build tell you what I need to know about this, then go based on that. And you have a 50% or more. There you have top level. Okay. So get to the 50% level, use spreadsheets if that's your jam, Excel, you like that. Okay, cool. Great nuggets there for the listeners. Guys, you need to be writing this stuff down. Trading hacks. Let's talk about trading hacks, how we're helping investors. Just tell us about it. I've gotten a little bit of knowledge from you in our talks, but let's hear about what you're doing there. So we're doing a couple of different things. We have our Discord server. Discord is really popular in the trading community. What we wanted to do different was that you see a lot of people on social media who are like, oh, look at the Lambo I drive. Look at all these cars I have. We're not that. A lot of times that's all a facade. There's a lot of fakeness there. So what we decided to do is we wanted to approach investing by in the lens of how do we give people data that they need? Like, I don't need to, I don't want someone to tell me buy this and sell this right now. I want to know why we're buying and selling it. And I want to know the data behind it. So what we built is a platform where anybody can go in and run commands and find out things like, what's my PE ratios? Like, what's the trend? I want to use AI to determine what the trend and are there buying indicators, selling indicators, things like that. So how do I give you the data that you can be successful, not have to listen to this one person who's then going to sell you a bunch of books and courses that are not ultimately going to be valuable to you? Once you have access to those tools, now that's when little training and one-on-ones and those type of things become valuable because now you know how to get access to the data, how to read the data. And all the training that we do is free. We don't charge people money for that stuff. We teach you how to train, how to invest. And so the ultimate goal of this is to get a really large user base. We're about a thousand users today. And then we are developing our next actual product, which is our ultimate goal, which is called Behavior AI. We trademarked that and submitted that to the patent office about six months to a year ago. And what that does is it's going to look at everything that you do. So you can leverage our web platform, mobile platform, or Discord. It'll watch all the research you do. It'll then look at the trade and you can run a command and then say, okay, what did I do well? What did I do poorly on this? What should I have looked at? It will then evaluate that and say, hey, listen, you didn't look at whether insiders or congresspeople were selling this stock. You didn't look at whether they had any announcements about them laying off people and things like that. It's like, you didn't do enough research and here's where your gap was. And so the idea is we want to help people actually leverage AI to become better and more efficient at what they're doing. And we want to take that behavior AI and apply it to video game streamers and apply it to other people and build a tool where people can actually use this, in my mind, install on your computer and then see, okay, I want to research cars. What did I miss? And basically look at what your behaviors are and help find gaps. Like, where am I going wrong? It's a powerful training tool that, that we want to build for any industry to help people change behaviors, negative behaviors into positive ones. And starting with stock trading and then moving on to everything else. You know? Everything else, yeah. Your vision is tremendous. I'm just blown away by what AI is capable of right now. And I know that we're probably just at the tip of the iceberg here with what this can do. Are you building this out? 
from an AI standpoint? Is this like software that you're writing or for yeah, training yeah. hacks? Okay. This is all software driven. And what it does is it takes data from all of our platforms and it assigns it to a user. So we can track a user, whether they're on, not in a bad way tracking, but whether they're on our website, whether on Discord or mobile, and it'll track everything that you're doing and basically build a catalog of that. And then it runs that against, it runs that research against all the market data that we have to find gaps and find correlations and things like that. And then yeah. can present you back a report. It's also a great tool for other trading, stock trading groups, where they're trying to help someone become a better trader. They can leverage this, look at the reports, and then say, here's what we need to do, and then come up with a corrective plan to help that person be more successful in investing and trading and things like that. So it has a number of implications. And it is software that we're writing. But the first piece is collecting all this data from our users, which is why we encourage everybody to go on Discord. It doesn't cost them money unless they want some of the advanced features. And then we can collect that data and then build the software based on that, which is where we are right now. And that just better serves them as a user in their effort in trying to become a, a better investor. Because I just think that doing all that research on buying stock or buying a company is that's pretty time consuming. 100%. Uh, yeah. I, um, I never want to do it. I didn't understand it either. So you're saying that we're kind of shortcutting it a little bit or at least getting the data based on whatever prompt or command you would put in. Yeah. Or just how you're researching, what you're looking at, what you're researching and what you purchased and things like that. So just correlating that of like, well, this wasn't really a good time to buy that stock because X, Y, and Z. And so it'll give you a constructive criticism. And on top of that, one of the things that we do accomplish through AI, which is kind of unique, is that if you look at all the stock market tools available to investors, the average investor, especially day trader, spends $500 to $1,000 a month. With what we're doing with Behavior AI, everything, all inclusive, is going to be $68 a month. And that's including the behavior improvement, behavioral improvement. When you think about that, it's because we don't need a lot of people. It's all driven by data, all driven by computers. We don't need a lot of people. It means that we can give our investors and people who are using our platform access to things like unusual whales and trade ticks and flow algo and all these tools that they use at a fraction of the cost because we control the data. We don't need people and we build all the integration. So it's ultimately going to save a lot of people a lot of money. <laughs> So you're saying there's people are spending $500 to $1,000 a month. What are they spending that on? Like advice? Well, yeah, a lot of times it's advice. It's access to like groups that like trading. I does a trading discord. Actually, I'm big fans of them. They're great, but they charge $300 a month. And then it's websites. For example, Unusual Whales, which is a really famous one on Twitter. That's like $150. And then that's per month. And then you have a Market Chameleon, which is another one. That's $300 per month. And you have Trade Ticks. That's $300 a month. So all these tools add up. With our platform, we're able to leverage a million different sources and pull that in so we can offer it to customers along with the education and the behavior AI stuff for a fraction of the cost because we don't need a lot of people. Yeah, I love it. Okay, tradinghacks.io, folks. I'm curious to go there. You said something earlier that I want to go back to, which was do one thing that scares us every single day. Absolutely. I like that. I can tell you that I'm guilty of not doing that on a daily basis. Well, I want to ask you, what do you do? What's something that you're doing maybe today that scares you? Or maybe it was yesterday. Give an example, and then I have a follow-up question. Yeah, one of the things I try to do at least once a week is I reassess what I'm doing in my business. I want to look at it from a negative lens. What's the most negative lens I could look at and find my holes, right? And that's a scary thing. Like, And sometimes it's not even about my business, but how I'm addressing my business. What are my behaviors? And that's a scary thing. Introspection can be one of the scariest things we ever do. But I know that I have weaknesses. Like mine is time management is such a weakness of mine. I get focused on one thing and then all of a sudden all the other things I'm supposed to do, I'm running two hours late. And that happens all the time. I encourage everybody and I do this myself, like once a week, I'll sit down and say, okay, where are my weaknesses? What do I need to improve? And let's put a prescriptive plan together. And that's scary. 
It's never fun to look at yourself in a negative light, but it's so important if we want to be the best version of ourselves. This morning, that was I spent my time on was looking at what am I not doing well, which is a really tough thing to do. And sometimes I'll ask people around me, what could I do better? What is it that I don't do well? And then take that feedback and then find a plan to improve that and then keep yourself accountable to those improvements. So important. Yeah, no, that's great. I love that you shared that you're, hey, we're not all good at everything. Like time management, like, look, folks, and I think Gene will attest to this 100%. We're not special breeds of human beings, okay? As business owners and entrepreneurs, we are flawed. We have weaknesses. We just acknowledge and recognize them. And hey, sometimes I lose focus. I suffer from shiny object syndrome all the time. Like it's just the way my brain works. I have to be aware of that and acknowledge that. But I think The self-evaluation piece is such great advice and we all should do it. And it doesn't have to be a negative thing, right? It's just like, hey, okay, you would never know that you were not great at time management if you didn't sit down and take to probably take the time to evaluate that. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. And also getting feedback. Like it's so hard to receive negative feedback from people you care about, but oftentimes that is where you want someone you care about to tell you, what is it that I don't do well? I'll give you an example. And I, you know, hopefully not too personal. I asked my wife that, like, what am I not good with? good at. And one of the things she said is that I'm a workaholic. I know we'll kind of share this rain, but I know that you take time to do things with the family. And this was a couple of years ago. And she said, you know what? You're a good dad, but you're not always a present dad. You'll be there, but you won't actually be there. But having a conversation, but not actually listening, not retaining that because I'm thinking in my head about something else. And so it's taken me years to really build this barrier of like work stops, has to stop. I love it, but it has to stop because my kids so important. And so like one of the decisions that I made is that my two young ones are really small. I said, you know what, I'm going to take three months next year and we're going to get an RV and we're going to travel. We're going to go see live in campsites. We're going to go see the monuments. We're going to go see cool places. And we're going to do that because I can work remote. You get so much valuable feedback when you ask people around you. It's not an easy pill to swallow and you want to be defensive, but take that advice and really do some soul searching to see if there's something you need to change. And that was one of the things for me. Wow. That's good. That's brilliant. So the people that you love and trust the most are the ones we're going to tell you. And that's who the message should come from. I think I've done similar things with my wife. I asked her this week, hey, when am I the most happy? And she ran off a list of stuff that I wrote down, right? I didn't ask her the other question. I asked her when I was most stressed out, but I didn't ask her what I was bad at. I'm going to take your advice and do that. But I would imagine that that conversation, when you were intentional about it and you asked your wife and you said, hey, what am I not good at? Like, what are my flaws, if you will? This is a lot different than her just saying, I can't stand it when you don't work, yeah. right? When you work too much. It was probably a much different much feedback. Much more productive. Yeah. Yeah. It's a much more productive conversation. And also you feel a lot less animosity. So for example, when I'm working too much, because it's hard to change a behavior that you've had for 30 years, my wife will be like, hey, maybe you should, you know, get off the computer and maybe you want to like watch a movie or something. And like now I don't see it as, oh, you're nagging me and stuff like that. Like we have this conversation, like, I know I need to improve here. I've accepted that. So you know what? You're helping me. Now I'm looking at it through the lens of you're trying to help me be a better person, not just you're just nagging me and trying to like bring me down. When you have those really difficult conversations, it leads to a much better outcome, especially from perspective and perspective is important. That's gold advice there. Gene, I don't think enough of us do that. I don't do it enough. Uh, I'm going to start doing it more. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways of this episode. As we wrap up here, this has been really great, right? We're helping people understand risk, how to calculate risk, and maybe feel a little bit better about what their idea is. Because you all have businesses inside of you. You all do. Multiple businesses. I mean, Gene's an example of that. And there's many more. So as we wrap up here, is there anything, any final thought you might have, maybe a favorite quote or something that I just didn't ask you that you wanted to share today? 
I guess from a recap standpoint, I do want to say, understand the difference between a gamble and a calculated risk. That is the most important thing. You don't want to gamble. You want to calculate a risk. And I think if too few people understand the difference, having a plan makes it a calculated risk. That's so important. My favorite quote is, do one thing every day that scares you. But I would say if I was to think of another quote or something else or a mantra to live by, every risk is worth taking because if you shoot for the moon and you hit a star, you still win, right? So I think taking a risk is very, very valuable. Shoot for the moon. If you hit a star, you still won. I don't think I said that quote quite right. But the idea is life is all about taking risks. When we're in a comfortable place, there is no growth. There's no growth in comfort, right? It's only when we get out of that comfort zone, that's where our growth area is. And we only get one shot at this. We only get one shot at life. And wouldn't we want to be the best possible version of ourselves? If the answer is yes, and I hope it is for most people, then that means take a risk. Do something different. Do something to try a new food. Even if it's something as small as like, I've never had sushi before. Let's try it. And worst case, I don't like it. I'll try it again. Like Life is about exploring. It's about adventure. And it's all about taking risks in whatever we do. Just try something new. So I can't stress enough. Get outside there. Do something that makes you uncomfortable. Do something new. You don't have to be the best at it. There's so many things that I've tried that I'm not good at, but I'll try it because it makes me a better human and it helps me learn my limits. And we don't know our limits unless we challenge them. Get out there, take a risk, do something new, do something that scares you. All right, folks, listen up. That was like seven quotes, but I loved all of them. And we're definitely going to have you back on the show. And I just was thinking, I'm like, when you're traveling with your family, you can tell us how awesome it is. We'll book that for next summer. That's when I assume you're doing it. Yes, uh, yeah. Awesome. Gene, so great having you on. And everyone, just have a super awesome day. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for having me. All right. That was pretty amazing. I really enjoyed that episode. My biggest takeaway was do one thing that scares us every single day. Great insight from Gene. I'd like to hear from you. What's the one thing that you're going to do tomorrow that frightens you? I always give my email, brian at w2prisonbreak.com. Reach out to me. I'd love to hear what that one thing is for you. I thank you for tuning in each and every week, and I'll see you next week.